adjectives and adverbs, or keep having sex. Now, I know I might have lost some of you because of the subtitle I chose, Keep Having Sex. I also might have picked up some listeners for the very same reason. You never know. I did consider changing it, but I decided to keep it because I know that once you see the reason for it, you'll understand completely why you'll never forget it. So bear with me and trust me to make that point clear, okay? Did you like grammar in school? Oh my, I did. I loved it. Didn't like literature very much. Not back then. I do now, but I loved grammar. And my favorite part of grammar was diagramming sentences. I know. Go figure. But you see, it was for me, it was like being able to see the sentence structure diagrammed right out there on paper in black and white. It made so much sense to me. I got really good at it. I could easily diagram a sentence in my mind's eye while somebody was talking. I still do that, by the way. Come on, don't laugh. I also read dictionaries and encyclopedias just for the fun of it. That's just who I am. But do you remember diagramming? Well, just in case your memory's faded a little bit, let me do a quick review, really quick. Diagramming sentences is really just a simple process where you draw a horizontal line with sections on it. And in one section, you put the sentence subject, usually it's going to be a noun or a pronoun, and it'll answer the question of who or what. In another part of this, this line, you put a predicate, usually a verb, that answers the question of action or being. Now, there you go. That's the simplest form of diagramming a sentence. But you could also add description words such as which, what kind of, or how many, or you could add how, when, or where, or to what extent, or why. These additions, they're either going to be adjectives that describe the subject, noun or pronoun, or there'll be adverbs that describe the predicate, normally a verb. Okay, that was a quick, about a eight-sentence review on what a diagramming a sentence is like. But I think you get the picture. We, you don't need to be a master at this for this podcast, but just stay with me. A diagram of a sentence can actually grow many, many levels deep and wide depending on how elaborate and descriptive the sentence might be. There are some talented writers. They produce sentences that, when they're diagrammed, they're actually a work of art. Pretty amazing. Adjectives and adverbs are what give sentences color and definition and clarification. A world without adjectives and adverbs would be, I think, quite boring. I mean, boring. But what does all this have to do with you and me? Oh, dear one, it has so much to do with us. And I think that once you see it, you'll see that so much good can come from simply understanding how parts of a sentence affect each other. I think you'll see this as we go along. At least that is the purpose of this podcast. i got to hope it works. Because your life can either be one of distress or one of de-stress. 
I like to think that this podcast might help you choose which life you're going to live. De-stressed life or de-stressed life? Scripture is honestly just words. Words that describe everything that you and I need to know to live a godly life in grace and peace. Oh, they are inspired words. Yes, they definitely are. Inspired words written through humans, but originating from the heart of God. Scripture's words, purposefully formed words into sentences to relay a message to you from God's heart. And if you understand how to diagram, oh my Jesus, if you just diagram the sentences of Scripture, I think you just might relax. Maybe do a little bit of de-stressing and enjoy the journey. There are verses and scriptures that are, I believe, at the very core of our faith and relationship with God. And they also impact every aspect of our life. And I actually want to look at one particular verse, which is an interesting message from God to you. I believe it's straight from God's heart to you and me. And I also believe that it's a linchpin of faith and peace. Now, just for practice, see if you can diagram this sentence as I read it. Quote, A man's heart devises his way, but the Lord orders his steps. That's Proverbs 16. If you apply the truths of this verse uh, kind of as a framework or a pattern for how you review your life in faith, I can tell you it would save you a lot of worry, a lot of grief, a lot of stress, and probably reduce the irritation and frustration in your life. I promise you that's a good possibility here. Well, here is what that sentence, that same sentence, that same verse says in the original Hebrew language. Here it is. A man's heart or mind devises or sets the course for his life path, but the Lord sets the rhythm and cadence to fulfill it. Every time I go over this verse, I'm almost in tears. And here I am again, almost in tears again. I actually read this verse kind of regularly, or at least say it. And each time, it has the same impact on me. It puts me back on point with faith. This little compound sentence has more than one subject, each one with its own predicate. And so you have to notice that the subject in the first part of the sentence is heart. Notice that a man's heart devises or sets the course of his life. And then there's a little connector, the word but. And after the word but, there's a second subject and predicate. So one more time. The first section is, the subject is, a man's heart devises or sets the course or path of his life. Little connector, but. The second part of the compound sentence, the subject is, the Lord, the Lord does what? The Lord sets or establishes the rhythm and the cadence, the how and the when for getting it done. Think about rhythm and cadence. When I think about rhythm and cadence, I think about a marching band. 
I just love the idea of rhythm and cadence. Once again, a man's heart sets the course or path of his life, but the Lord sets the rhythm and cadence of fulfilling it. The how and the when, if you're diagramming this with me, you see that the how and the when, the rhythm and cadence do not belong to the first subject, man, man's heart. The desire and purpose of a man's heart sets the course, but not the how and when. Let me say that one more time. To some of you, you might already know, you might all, I'll be old hands at this, but to others of you, this is Newsflash City. A man's heart sets the course, but not the how or when of his life. It's actually a wonderful discovery when you really believe what this says. I found it to be a lights-on, heart-pumping, amazing discovery, and it has changed me forever. If you just look at the hopes and longings of your own heart, you'll see that it is normally the adverbs of your life, the how and when of your life, that cause you the most stress. The rhythm and cadence of life aren't in your hand. No matter how hard you try, they're not in your hand. No matter how many plans or blueprints you draw, no matter how much detail you design, the how and the when the rhythm and cadence for them being fulfilled are in God's hands. It's both a relief to some people and a shock to others to discover that you don't control how and when. Oh, you might think you do, um, but you don't. But I believe myself personally, I believe it's a really good thing that God controls the how and the when. I didn't always feel that way. It used to be a real stress to me. When, especially, was one of the biggest stresses of my life. Well, when is this going to happen? And then there's that other one, why? Why hasn't this happened yet? It doesn't always feel wonderful when the years roll on and things don't seem to change, but I honestly believe that once you come to terms with this little truth, your life will dramatically change. Okay, parents. This also applies to your kids, too. Because once they begin to set the course and the path of their life, you're not in control of the how or when of their life either. It's really hard. It is really hard to let go of this one because we train these kids for years. And then we have to let them begin to experience how the word pictures of their lives are diagrammed. But listen to me, it's okay to let it go. Let it go into the hands of the one who's got this. He gets it. I believe that when you respect who holds the adverbs of your life, the how and the when in particular, you'll find a peace flood your heart and mind. How and when can wear you out mentally and emotionally and challenge your faith. Making us strive to do more, say more, attempt different ways to accomplish the how and when. Those adverbs that were never in our control. You do not control the rhythm and cadence. No, no you don't. They are in God's hands. Once you speak the desire of your heart, once you ask believing, believing that he who spared not his own son, but delivered him up freely for you, 
believing that he will not hesitate to give you freely anything once you ask? Well, then ask. And then trust. And let him go to work on how and when. You will be surprised how masterfully he takes your desire and paints it with adjectives and adverbs into something you could not have imagined. It's like you drawing a house plan on graph paper and then giving it to an architect and seeing them take that simple plan to a whole other level with details that you couldn't imagine because you don't have that skill. Well, the same happens when you ask God. So I say just ask. Go ahead. Give your hand-drawn blueprint to the master. You know what? There is a scripture. There's a verse that says exactly this. Here it is. To him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above what we could ask or think. Oh my gosh, doesn't that just take your breath away? Diagram that sentence. Diagram that sentence and put it on your fridge to remind you that you don't have a clue how skillful God is as he works on your behalf. You can't possibly, you can't possibly know the full details of God's skill. Oh my word, don't you know, you and me guys, the stories we could tell. You put your heart out there. You set the path and the course. Then take your hands off and trust that God will go to work and that he will skillfully fulfill it exceedingly abundantly above what you could ask or think. When will that desire be fulfilled? Honestly, that is not in your hand to know. What is in your hand is to rest. Rest knowing that the one who loves you the most has the win, has the perfect moment to bring it into your life. He has that in his hands. Oh my, the ghosts of how and when have defeated so many good people who likely thought they had control of these adverbs and that they control them by more perfect prayers or amazing faith. Hebrews 11 is a wonderful study in how and when. It's all about real people believing and in some cases continuing to believe without seeing any results simply because that's who they were. They were believers. That's who I am. I'm a believer. It's what I do. Oh, don't let how and when, those frustrating adverbs, don't let them undermine your faith. Leave the adverbs of your life in the hands of the only one who can see tomorrow today, the only one who understands your heart and understands your desires, and the only one who actually knows how he will take care of the rhythm and cadence. And he will. That is his promise. I want to look at two quick examples of just how hard it can be to let go of how and when. And to see how normal the struggle to let it go really is. It's pretty common to man. All of you, I think, will relate to a man that we've heard of who desperately wanted an heir. He and his wife had tried many years to have an heir. But each month and then each year as the years rolled on just became hurtful reminders 
but they had failed again. They did what couples do. They didn't stop trying. They didn't just quit. But as the years wore on and they aged beyond the time that their bodies could produce an heir, they started to feel the fog of defeat settle in, especially her. And then one day, without fanfare, a guest came to their home. He had dinner with them. But then before he left, he told them that they would have a son, an heir, together. It was hard to grasp. I mean, they'd been doing this for years. But he was very clear that this man, this man, would have a son through his wife, this wife right here. So, as far as adverbs go, uh, they knew what the how was. So what did they do? They did what couples do, even though their body clocks had run out. Again, notice the visitor told them how they would have an heir. Their son would come through the two of them together. Obviously not by immaculate con conception. Their how was together, this man and this woman. They were still missing when. They didn't know when as their visitor left. He didn't tell them when. Did that mean they should stop trying? Absolutely not. Just like you in pursuit of your course and your path, you shouldn't stop trying. For instance, if you're looking for, you know, a school to go to, don't stop applying to schools. Just because you're trusting God with the how and when, don't stop applying to schools or searching for a new home or asking for a raise or applying for a new job or looking for a wonderful life partner. You see, these two, this husband and wife, they didn't stop doing what couples do who want kids. Yep, there it is. I said it. They had sex. Because that's my coded message to you. If you ask me after this podcast what you should do while the rhythm and cadence of your path is fulfilled, I actually would look you right in the eye and say, keep having sex. Because that's my coded message to you to do what is normal in your given situation as the rhythm and cadence, the how and when of your life is fulfilled. Don't quit just because you don't see how or when. No, keep having sex. That's my coded message to you. I have seen so many people lose their joy because when wasn't how they imagined it would be. When? It's been the disappointment of so many prayers. Hearts that were filled with hope when a prayer was spoken get stuck in despair and defeat over a single adverb. When? In our example, our couple heard a promise. And they try and try to fulfill that promise a variety of different ways. You see, even a dead womb isn't a problem with God. It's not a big deal to God, whether it's a physical dead womb, or maybe in your case it's a financial dead womb, or maybe a relationship dead womb, or maybe going into your job every day feels like your career is a dead womb. Here it is. Dead wombs do not stop the rhythm and cadence of promise. Just look at history. There were so many roadblocks of people and events that attempted to stop 
the greatest fulfillment of promise ever. That was Jesus. And yet God set the rhythm and cadence and Jesus arrived at Calvary to redeem the unredeemable and rescue the wayward and restore the lost. Was that a quick process that got Jesus here? No. It wasn't a quick process for this couple either. In fact, it was 25 years from the promise to the heir. But oh my gosh, all the agony and pain of 25 years vanished at the first sight of that chubby-faced son. Second example. This one's on a more personal note. My second son was in the same accident that took his older brother. He was very badly hurt, in body and in heart, very deeply hurt. Within a year of that accident, another family that we'd known for years found themselves in another horrible situation. And the mom and sister called and asked if my son and I would come up to the hospital just to be with them. They knew that we knew what they were feeling. We were still pretty raw ourselves, but we understood really why it would be good to go be with them. And I couldn't be there as much as my son could be, but he continued to go to the hospital whenever he could. To make a very long story very much shorter, the sister he went to comfort at the hospital as her own sister lay there fading away is now my gorgeous daughter-in-law, mom of three of my grandkids, loving partner to this amazing man, my son. You see, my son had searched long and hard for years for a partner, and then he met her under circumstances that actually isn't where you look for a mate, and certainly at a time that most people would not have recognized as grace. You see, the how and when, the rhythm and cadence of God answering his heart cry, and also answering my now daughter-in-law's heart desire, it wasn't in their hands. Their desires were known to God, who heard those desires the first time they asked him. And then God took two awful, hurtful moments in both their lives. And then he, as only he can, he began to weave a tapestry of new love and new family and new hope. I just love that story. I hope you're feeling the story the way I do. Now, don't you think for one moment that God allowed such awful things to happen just so he could bring these two together? Oh, my gosh, that is such a horrible way to think of a loving father. No. No, God took horrible. He took awful. He took painful moments in both of their lives. And then he said to each of them, Come on, sweetie, climb up here in my hug, honey. And let me love on you. The how and the when to fulfill the heart desire of these two wonderful people, my son and my daughter-in-law, was finished by God who sees every tomorrow today. And oh my gosh, he did it with a flourish of hope that absolutely invades that home. Okay, in closing, I got to address the most contentious little adverb in grammar. It's right up there with how and when. Oh, to be sure, this adverb is vitally important and very relevant in places like science and medicine and education. In those places, it's even critical. 
but it is irrelevant in matters of the heart. The most offending adverb of the heart is a three-letter word, why? In matters of the heart and emotions, the answer to the question why has never healed or remedied anything. Asking and answering the question why on matters of the heart doesn't change what happened that offended the heart or that caused the heart such pain. In matters of the heart, why? You know what it's about? It's about cause and blame. Who did something wrong or who failed to do something right? Who wasn't doing their job? Who said the wrong words? Who failed to raise an alarm? Who did this? You see, why seeks to hold someone or something accountable. It needs someone to blame. Should people be blamed? Or did God fail? You see, in the days after Proctor died, the question of why began to raise its head to me. So I took it to the Lord immediately. And I asked very specifically if why was something I needed to know. And I learned very clearly and very quickly and very specifically. Why is an irrelevant question. Because why is all about blame and blame is about condemnation. Why is all about who or what deserves to be condemned. I refused then to play the condemnation game and I refuse today. Why doesn't remedy anything? It doesn't give your child back. It doesn't mend your broken heart. It doesn't erase hurtful words that somebody has spoken to you. It doesn't repair a friendship. The answer to the question why solves and resolves absolutely nothing in matters of the heart. Again, why is useful in the correct place like science and medicine. But oh dear friend, it is so harmful in matters of the heart. So I say choose to refuse to play the why blame game. You know why? Because your heart will heal faster. You see the rhythm and cadence of how and when your heart desire will become reality? They're in the master's hand. Why don't you let him pry your emotional fingers off of how and when? How and when might be unknowns to you but they are so well known to the only one who loves you without question and sees every tomorrow today. In the meantime, don't quit doing what is normal in your given circumstances. Keep having sex. And don't let the adverbs of how and when and why derail you. Leave the rhythm and cadence to the trusted master planner.